Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture reading this evening is from Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 31. you reading from the New King James Version. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Please be seated. It is nice to have Andrew reading scripture for us. He has moved a while back and he is living in the New England area up there. And so uh, I want to invite you all over to his house anytime you get the chance. And I know that we'll all have a good time. I was glad that he was going to read scripture tonight. It's good to have you back albeit for a little while. Okay, be happy to do that. Where I'm sitting up here in the front, I look at this screen typically to read the words for the songs, keep up with them, and that, that puts my ears toward over here. And do you know that these teenagers just sing like angels? They, they're wonderful. And um, I, wow, it's just a, it's a temptation sometimes for me to stop and just listen to them and I don't do that, but I sure do love to hear him sing. Here's what I want to do in the next few minutes. I'm going to go over to the Old Testament, to the book of Ruth, chapter 2. If you'll turn over there with me, I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Ruth, chapter 2. We'll do a little bit in chapter 3. And then want to draw a line, an imaginary, imaginary line from Ruth over to the book of Ephesians. And that's where we'll finish the sermon. So we start in Ruth, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It's wonderful to see you here. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now bear in mind that the book of Ruth is just a small story in the great book of Judges. That's where it belongs. And and every word of the Bible is important. Every part of the Bible is there for a reason. And it's like in all the dismal, the unhappiness of the book of Judges and that cyclical, faithful, unfaithful thing, you stop for a minute and you say, here's Ruth and Boaz, and you have this remarkable story. And of course, then Ruth is going to be in the lineage of our Lord. All right, so first chapter 2, verse 1, his name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said, Go, my daughter. 
And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, our servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay you your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now, I want you to underline, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You understand what that means, that God was going to care for her in the caring for Naomi, and now she's come to be with the people of God. All right, now let's go to chapter 3, and I want to go to to verse 6 to begin. Ruth 3, verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went down to lie at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, It happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you're a close relative. Now here you have the terminology again, but now it's not applied to God. It's applied to Boaz. And Ruth is saying, I'm a kinsman to you. And she is essentially proposing marriage to him because of that. But the phraseology is very interesting. When you read Clark about this, Adam Clark says, well, this has to do with the same kind of imagery that you have in Matthew 23 and verse 37, where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. Remember? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you you kill the prophets and you stone them which were sent unto you. And how many times would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings? What does that mean? He said, and you would not. What does it mean? And of course, it's obvious, of course, is that it means I would have protected you and provided for you and cared for you. And that old hen, she would die in the protection of her chicks. And she hides them under her wings for protection. And so here you have this, this kind of imagery when Ruth is talking to Boaz. I want you to hide me under your wings. So exactly what does that look like? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, what does it look like in a husband when a husband protects his wife under his wings? 
Now, as we start this, I'm going to make this um, assertion that in general broad terms, that there are five major things that a man, a typical man, uh, holds dear, that he holds before he marries, that he values very much. And I suppose after he marries too. But it would be his, his spiritual well-being, hopefully that would be first, the care of his, his soul. It would be the care of his body. It would be his work, whatever that happens to be. And it would be his name or his reputation. Those four things, now, the list may be longer, but at least those four things must be very critical to a man, very important to a man. Now, I say that because that is the template with which Paul writes here, and you'll see those things surface in Ephesians chapter 5. You remember that chapter 5 is where Paul is comparing the church to the, the bride of a man. The church is the bride of Christ, and, and Jesus looks on the church, the ecclesia, like a man looks on his wife. But here you have some instructions, and they're rather specific. And I, I want to talk to the husbands and to those of you who may one day be a husband. And what does it look like? So, so the imagery, what does it look like when a man takes a woman under his wing in the way that Ruth was uh, suggesting to Boaz? And, of course, you know that, that it, she was successful, and he did just that, and he cared for her, and she became his wife. Now... We're going to start this in verse 33. That's the last verse in Ephesians 5. And every one of you in particular so love his own wife as he loves himself. And the wife see that she reverences or respects her husband. I want you, husbands, he says, I want you to love your wife your wife, like you love your, yourself. It presupposes something. It's not unhealthy. It's the healthy sense in which a man loves himself and protects his body, protects himself. And that's, don't, don't make anything bad out of that. It's the natural way. But as you love yourself, I want you to love your wife. It's very similar to take me under your wing. And here are the four categories that I talked about. Now, the first one, we're going to start in verse 26. Now, he's going to protect his eternity. There we go. He's concerned about his eternity. I mean, if he's got his head screwed on straight, he's a man who cares about the Lord and he cares about going to heaven instead of hell. And so what would it mean to love her like he loves himself? And the answer is he's going to protect her spiritually. That's what it means. And so in verse 26, the Bible says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. This is Jesus to the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water, by the word, that he might present her, the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So what Jesus does is to care for us spiritually, obviously, and he purifies us. How does a husband do that with his wife? I'm going to take you under my wing. That's what Ruth wanted. In reference to this part of how he loves himself, and he's going to love her, what does it mean that I'm going to, I'm going to provide for you spiritually? I'm going to care for your soul. And, and there's some simple practical things. I just want to plant some seeds for your thoughts. And especially in those of you who aren't married yet. I mean, if you ever find a girl who will have you. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. A wife should never, ever have to beg her husband to come to worship or a Bible class. Right? He should be the one who will lead that. A wife should never have to beg her husband when they have their children to have family Bible time and to lead that with the children. 
shouldn't have to beg him to do that because he's the spiritual leader and he is the, he is the one who provides for her. He's seeing to her. His, his goal is to help his wife to be the best Christian that she, that she should be or can be. She won't have to beg him to not choose sinful entertainment in their home. He's going to stay away from that. As a matter of fact, if he walks into the TV room and there's garbage on there, he's the one who's going to take the initiative and fix that. And he won't wait about it. He'll fix it right then. Because he, he, doesn't, want, he doesn't want that in his home. And what his goal is, is to help his wife and his children to go to heaven. She won't have to beg him to lead the prayer before they eat. And it won't matter where they are. They'll bow their heads and he'll lead prayer. He won't have to be begged by his wife to initiate spiritual discussions, and he will engage in those with her with great interest and application. Did you listen to what what that brother said in that Bible class today? And I thought that was very, I never thought about that before. You know what, honey, I was reading in in the book of Galatians. Yesterday, and I came across this phrase. I never noticed it before. And, and you know, let's, you know what that means? I looked it up in a commentary, and here's what Barnes says about that. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if all of us had the kind of marriage where we talked about the Lord, where we communicate about the things of God, and where it's just as comfortable as it can be to have spiritual discussions with our spouses? Now, that is surely the kind of thing that Ephesians 5 is talking about when you say that that the church is to Christ what a bride is to her husband. What's the church to Christ? And then you have this verse, and it says that he wants to present it to himself a glorious church, not spot or wrinkle, any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. And I want to help my wife as a husband to be the best Christian that she can be. Here's number two. We drop down to verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So this one is, according to the assertion here, that a man will protect his own body. You think that's true? I have, I have a wood shop at my house. I don't get down there very much, but I really like it. Now, I'm very careful in my wood shop because, well, I have some friends, you know, who, who are missing fingers, and so far I've got all of mine, and I'm very thankful for that. I try to be very, very careful I, I, my sister, I, I took my sister in the car recently and, and I buckled my belt and she said, I just want to say that I really appreciate you not tying that seat belt behind the seat so it doesn't beep. That you buckle it because I want you to buckle your seat belt. And, uh, well, okay, okay, good. Now, I have a natural interest in, in preserving life. I, I, I like to do that. I want to take care of myself. You're that way too. How do you love your wife like that? And the answer is, I'm going to do my best to protect my wife. Now, there's some easy ways that you want to protect your wife, and you do, right? And one is that I never like for my wife to to carry something heavy in front of me. If I see her carrying something heavy, I'm going to get up out of the chair and go over to her and say, here, let me carry that. Let me do that. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not bragging about myself. I'm just saying that that's part of protecting her. I want to protect her. I didn't marry her because she could lift heavy, heavy weights. That's, that wasn't the point. And I like to do those things for her. I like that. I want to protect her. And it's obvious that you're going to protect her from any kind of danger. And you, I guess when you walk on the sidewalk 
with her, you're always careful to walk on the street side and let her walk on the inside. That's just a display of, I want to protect you. And should somebody want to do you harm or to do her harm, they're going to have to come through you first, right? I've, I've never been a fighter, never have been much at that. I'm built like that, but I'm not, I don't think like that, but I can, I can assure you Somebody wants to bother Mrs. Collie, I can assure you that whatever I've got, they can have this. They're going to get that, right? Because I'm going to... That's, that's very natural. I think there are other ways that it's not so very natural in men. And, and you, not, you and I need to think about this. Sometimes I need to protect her from myself. You ever need to protect your wife from a husband who's using pornography? You know, what's going to happen is that she's going to up and discover that one day. And you're going to hurt her. You're going to hurt her real bad. Maybe she needs protection from you. Is it that you need to stop some sinful activity in which you're engaged right now because it puts her at risk? She has some exposure on this thing and something bad could happen because of the way you're behaving? Maybe it has to do with, uh, with some um, alcohol use. Maybe some drugs. Maybe some other kind of drug, that is. Maybe it has to do with money. And, and maybe, maybe it's that you're abusing credit in such a way that, that you could do her great harm and you don't tell her that because you wouldn't want her to know it and start becoming uh, angry with you. And so you keep some things a secret from her. And when she discovers that you're keeping secrets or even lying to her about some things like this, it's going to hurt her very bad. And the fact of the matter is you should have been protecting her from yourself. You ought to love your wife as you, as you love your own body. I would say that we ought to protect our wives from false doctrine. Would you agree with that? I ought to know what truth is. I ought to make it my business to know what truth is to the best of my ability. And, and uh, don't you know that there are people out there that are false teachers who would like to draw us into wrong doctrines? Shouldn't a man prepare himself to be able to defend his home from false doctrines? All right, let's do number three. Here's verse 29. Talking about Christ and the church. And he says, this is how a man's to love his wife. And I would argue that it's depicting the imagery of a man guarding and protecting his wife under his wing. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. He's providing for himself. A man will provide for himself. He wants to eat and he wants to have a roof over his head. And now that he has a wife, he wants to provide for her. He wants to see to her. I heard a man one time say, and I guess I've heard it more than once, to a young woman he was thinking of marrying. Well, if we're going to get married, financially, you're going to have to carry your own weight. That, that, that just chills me. Now, the Bible does not say that a, a wife can't leave home and it doesn't, can't leave the house. It doesn't say that she can't earn money. It doesn't say that. But what it does say in Titus chapter 2 is that her primary responsibility is the keeper of that home, which is really good because if nobody keeps the home, you won't have one. And you have a type of a corporation built, this home thing. And and each does his part. But when the when the children come along especially, what she needs to be doing is is working primarily to take care of that family. And, and his providence for her is, is the kind of thing that's talked about in this scripture. 
He's going to work to provide for her necessities. When I provide for her, I'm providing for our family, and I need her. I never did think it was a right idea to have separate checking accounts, unless you have a business reason, a real legitimate, significant business reason to have two checking accounts. Everything in your marriage ought to belong to us. This is not, not, it ought to really make you nervous for a husband to say, no, this is my money and this is your money. Come on now, come on. That that all belongs to us. And he ought ought to have the mindset that my role is to be your provider. I'm providing for you. And I want to provide for your emotional needs too. That's hard for a man. We talk about providing for her. How are you doing on providing for her emotional needs? Maybe you would provide better if you understood them. That's not easy, is it? You've never been a woman. You don't know how that works. You don't have any idea. You've got some strange strange things about you too, though. That's all right. Sometimes a wife really doesn't want you to fix her problems. She wants you to listen. That's really hard for a man because a man... Just He's a problem solver just by his nature. That's what he wants to do. He just wants to identify the issue, especially... Have we got any engineers? We do. Okay. You you identify the problem, analyze the problem, fix it. You fix the problem. And, And a man may do that with his wife, and she may come home and lay out all sorts of frustrations about her day and he says well look honey here's what you need to do the first one do this and then here's what I want you to do for that second one the third one you better get this and do this right away and here's the fourth one and he thinks got it got did that got it fixed it and her response may be I just don't know why you never listened to me because that's not what she wanted she just wanted somebody to listen she wanted him to listen a man provides for his wife the necessities of life Here's the last one. Go down to verse 30 with me. I'm in Ephesians 5 and verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I love the King James in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2, where the Bible says that God called their name Adam. I think it's in the ESV where you have the same passage. Have we got that? um, Let me have the next slide. There, there, There it is. A male and female, he created them, ESV, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Don't you think that's interesting? He called their name Adam. And, and I, I would assume that the, the habit that pe- people in America typically have uh, where you get married and you take your husband's name originated with this. And I don't know, but it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly consistent with Scripture for us to do it the way that we do. He gives her his name and the security of his forever. You talk about a rib. With that rib, God made a woman. I'd say that's a pretty, pretty permanent arrangement. And the bride is the church of our Lord. Hebrews 13, 5. To his bride, our Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I know, I know that you will do right by me. I know that, that you will provide what I need, that you will spread your wings over me. So there you have it. There's the lesson for tonight. Ruth, uh, 
Ruth did something rather interesting. She went to Boaz and she proposed marriage. It didn't seem to bother him too much, though. And he, he uh, did what he had to do and readily agreed. And he, was, he just loved her so much. And, and there you are. But the way she said it was the interesting part. Spread your wing over me. Hide me beneath your wing. And that's, that's still applicable today. And we have it described in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm so glad that you're here. And thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.